Throughout human history, societies have grappled with fundamental questions of how to organize themselves. Government does nothing as well or as economically as the private sector of the economy. Tech companies are actually taking over the world, and they're doing it with our government's help. But there also seems to be a growing awareness that they have become so big that they have too much power now. The potential for the disastrous rise of misplaced power exists and is gravely to be regarded. There's a hidden goal driving the direction of all of the technology we make. For well, we are opposed around the world by a monolithic and ruthless conspiracy that combines military, intelligence, economic, scientific, and political operations. Public policy could itself become the captive of a scientific, technological elite. People all over this country are wondering whether or not this great country is evolving into an oligarchic society. This alternative vision argues that ordinary men and women are too small-minded to govern their own affairs, that order and progress can only come when individuals surrender their rights to an all-powerful sovereignty. Now we can see a new world coming into view, a world in which there is a very real prospect of a new world order, and today that new world is struggling to be born, the dream of a new world order. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Our Foundations podcast. My name is Joshua and today's episode will be another with this interim series that we're doing right now in between season two and season three. This one will focus on aspects of the coronavirus and the reaction to that and the government response and all these kinds of things, looking at that and comparing two options for that. And those two would be conspiracy or natural trends, because with most of these things, there are definitely conspiratorial aspects and possibilities of conspiracies behind the scenes. And I have uh, talked about that, if not at least alluded to those things multiple times. And there are also natural trends that are going on, which are things that I've also talked about, about the ages of man and being in a transition period and coming into a new time period and that we're in the middle of that shift all of last season comparing right now to the Reformation. That's what that is all about. And so there are these two things that seem like a dichotomy. Either there is some grand conspiracy going on behind the scenes, or this is just part of natural events that happen and trends that happen and cycles that happen in history. Which one of these are true? I will also admit that part of the reason I am doing this is because I heard an episode of the Tom Woods show today, and it kind of inspired me. It was about uh, the mindset behind conspiracies and how a lot of the stuff can be explained outside of a conspiratorial explanation and these types of things. I do not feel bad drawing from the Tom Woods show, number one, because why should I? Number two, I remember back in season one when I did the episode, I think I I titled it The Constitution, A Federalist Coup, or something like that. And it wasn't a few weeks later that on the Tom Woods show, there was an episode about the Federalist Coup. And I think that he used the exact same title. And so I don't feel bad stealing from him here either. Another reason for this episode is that I am in the process of booking a very exciting interview. I got word today that this certain somebody is willing to do an interview 
interview and is wanting to come on the show. And I am working out the details on that. I'm getting back with him about scheduling. He's in a totally different time zone. So there is that. But he has at least agreed to come on and discuss some very interesting topics that relate. Well, they don't even just relate. They are what I have been really getting into recently. I mentioned earlier in this episode, just that aspect of being in the middle of historical trends and how we have these different time periods and and human ages that pass from one to the other. There are cyclical aspects of that, and we're in the middle of a transition period. These types of things, as well as what I'm getting into in the upcoming season of Christian agorism and the ways that the early Christians and the teachings of Jesus and the Gospels especially really correlates with the type of approach that I have been talking about a lot when I have been getting into agorism and taking action and individual responsibility and these types of things, uh, getting into the apolitical versus the anti-political or the political. And so my upcoming guest and I will be discussing these types of things. And I think you will be very, very happy with this upcoming guest. I am just not going to mention his name because, you know, something could fall through and it might not work out. But let's get back to the subject at hand for this episode. What I want to do first is look at this from a Hegelian dialectic point of view of problem, reaction, solution. We can look at COVID-19 as the current problem that we are going through. The virus is the problem. The reaction would be the response to that problem, the response of individuals as well as the response of governments. And then the solution would be what is happening as a result of these things, what are people turning to? And most of these are state solutions and technological solutions that people are turning to. So I want to cover those three aspects and then look at them first from a conspiratorial point of view, and then we will look at it from a non-conspiratorial point of view, more of a structural and historical trends point of view. So to begin with, the virus itself, just looking at it as a virus, a plague, whatever you want to call it, maybe a pandemic. But looking at the virus, it is the perfect tool for a eugenicist, someone that believes in eugenics and the idea of breeding a better human race. What better tool could you ask for than a virus that spreads very quickly? It is very contagious. It has a delayed time frame in between infection and showing symptoms, so a lot greater chances of spreading it because of that as well. It is not very harmful to the healthy public or to the young. These are the people, obviously, as a eugenicist, that you want to be procreating. You want them to survive. You want them to continue to improve and evolve. But the weak and the old, this virus is especially dangerous for. If you look at the average age of people that have died of COVID-19, last I looked at least, it was in the 70s. And in some countries like Spain, even when this first happened, and I was looking at stats coming out of Italy and out of Spain, this was back last spring when you were getting reports out of China of just bodies piled up in the streets and all kinds of horrible things. Even then, the numbers coming out of some of those European countries were very drastic as far as the 
age is concerned and how it is stratified by age. So, for example, the one stat I do remember is that the average age of death in one of those countries was over 80 years old with an average of three comorbidities per person. So that is pretty extreme. But again, that is absolutely perfect from a eugenics point of view. You are thinning the herd, you are getting rid of the weak, you are culling the weak, and you are leaving the strong. Now, what you do next would probably have to be something a little more specific and severe. But to begin with, that is perfect. So if we were looking at this from a conspiratorial sort of mindset, the people that might be running the show behind the scenes, so to say, think of the Rhodes Roundtable groups or Trilateral Commission, Council on Foreign Relations, or the Bilderbergs or whoever you want to look at, the 13 families, whatever, these groups would be of a mindset that is geared towards eugenics and technocratic rule and authoritarianism. This would be the mindset that these, let's say, true rulers would have and that they would be trying to implement on society as a whole. So, the virus itself is, again, a very useful tool for the eugenics aspect, but also from an economic aspect, America and the West as a whole is overdue for an economic downturn. We are way overdue for a recession or a depression. The things that were done to fix the 2008 financial crisis really blew up the bubble even more and made it even more dangerous for the next downturn. That has been coming and basically everybody knows it. I talked about that about a year ago on the episode that I did looking at the evolution of our economic system in today's society. And so this isn't a new thing. What the virus does is it basically gives a scapegoat or a fall guy for the economic struggles that are going to happen, period. There is nothing we can do about that. You can't just blow up a bubble infinitely and never have it pop. It is either going to pop or you have runaway inflation. Neither one is good and both have the same result as far as an economic struggle, I guess, being the outcome. So this virus is very handy from that point of view. If you are someone in charge, you want to run the world, you want to steer things towards a direction of authoritarianism and you being in charge and eugenics and technocratic rule, these types of things, you kind of have to crash the old system to create the new system. And we have talked about that again before in past episodes, talking about the Great Reset, especially, and the, those ideas behind that. But this virus is very good for a tool from an economic perspective as well. Now, when you look at the move towards globalism and authoritarianism that the elite rulers behind the scenes want and are working towards, the virus, again, is perfect for this. All of a sudden, we have this global problem, a global pandemic that requires a global solution and global coordination and all these types of things. Also, it is a problem that doesn't appear to be able to be solved by markets or by individual action because the masses aren't going to do their part. You need the state to come in in an authoritarian way and set things right and make mandates and make sure that the virus is getting 
taken care of, getting attacked. This invisible enemy needs to be dealt with, and the state is the only one in a position to do so, and it takes authoritarian leadership to make that happen and to force the public to do the things they need to do. Now, I am not arguing for that as being a good solution. I am just making the argument for that from an elitist perspective, so to say. It's the same conclusion that the war game scenario from the Rockefeller Foundation like 10 years ago, whenever that was, of Operation Lockstep, that was the same conclusion they had come to, is that the more authoritarian of a response that a country had, the better it did in this fictional scenario of a virus hitting, big pandemic, economies falling, and a global chaos, you know, basically exactly what happened just now. And so this is definitely something that has been discussed before, and it would definitely be something that the powers that shouldn't be would want to happen. So from a conspiratorial mindset, the virus is perfect for this, which if you want to take that to the next level of a conspiracy, then wouldn't that be the exact same thing that these elites would create and would intentionally unleash in order to gain all of these benefits and achieve all of these goals? Well, you could make an argument for that, and I would definitely not say it's impossible. So I think that covers the problem aspect, the virus, from a conspiratorial mindset. Now, getting into the reaction, the response that has occurred from this problem, from the virus. Well, we have governments and states that are exaggerating the danger by far and encouraging the media to do so. And with this comes exaggerated levels of fear within the population. And so these are very useful reactions to have with a society if you want to steer them towards coming to you and using technology and expert authoritarian type rule as the solution. If that's what your solution is and that's what you want, and from a conspiratorial perspective, that is the goal of the powers that shouldn't be. It's the whole new world order mindset. And so if that's your goal, then to have a population that sees life, every aspect of life is being unsafe and dangerous and they're in total fear of a scenario. And of course, looking to the experts and looking to the state as the solution would definitely be very handy. Not only that, but the aspect of taking away liberties in order to keep people safe, exchanging freedom for safety, liberty for safety, that sounds familiar. It should sound familiar to all of us. It has been discussed for a long time. And that is what is happening right now. Now, again, from this perspective, the conspiratorial perspective, that's exactly what the New World Order leaders want. They want to get rid of these pesky freedoms and pesky liberties. It's the whole idea of it's the year 2030 and I own nothing and I love it. It's that whole thing that I have discussed before. In addition to that, it is taking away information that is inconvenient. The idea of censorship and censoring the true opposition, but not only censoring the true opposition, but organizing some planned opposition as well. So if you can make sure that you censor out the things you don't want people to see, and then you actually flare up the problems and arguments and debates that you want people to be discussing from an oppositional perspective, then 
you win on two fronts because obviously you are getting rid of the most dangerous parts of society and most dangerous arguments to your goals. And at the same time, you are making sure that people have an outlet. Not only that, they are divided against each other. And while they are debating about whether or not they should wear a mask when they walk into Walmart and whether or not the state is allowed to mandate that and whether or not a private business should be able to do this and blah, 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 while they're busy arguing about these kind of petty problems, the greater issue of basically all the things I'm talking about, all these aspects of the New World Order taking over kind of a thing, they're just continuing on behind the scenes and people don't pay a whole lot of attention to that. It's the frog getting boiled in the kettle over time, very slowly. That's what's happening. And all the while, people think that they are fighting the system and they, they are the true opposition, when in reality, they're only pushing the agenda forward because of their actions. What do you think storming the Capitol is going to do? Number one, let's say you took the Capitol and you had a giant militia that was there and could defend off any U.S. military attack, and all of a sudden, you control the Capitol building. You won absolutely nothing besides the media attention. And guess what? That media attention is going to be skewed not towards your point of view. It will be skewed towards the other point of view, and you will be the terrorists, and you will be the bad guy, and it will push people even more into the arms of the state. So again, this idea of controlled opposition really works very well for the plans of the elite, eugenics-obsessed philosopher kings behind the scenes. Now, the last aspect of the reaction that benefits them would be to normalize let's say, executive mandates, normalize things that are outside of the typical democratic process. Now, while I am not a personal fan of democracy and the whole idea of two wolves and a sheep deciding what's for dinner, I don't think that's right to be able to force someone to do something or force something on somebody just because most people think that it's a good idea. I think that's just morally bankrupt and logically bankrupt, intellectually bankrupt, and I don't see how anybody could really support that aside from possibly the argument that what else do we have? But there are many arguments to say there are many other options. But point being that the last vestige of the people having a say in governing decisions is democracy. That's how people view that. They view their liberties as being used and exercised through this process of democracy, of having a say in the governing bodies. Well, all of a sudden, if you are having mandates being handed down and orders being handed down, regulations being handed down without anyone voting on it, without anybody choosing a representative to deal with this, what about the CDC telling landlords they can't kick out their tenants because of the coronavirus? Uh, well, did anyone elect all of these CDC officials? No, those aren't elected positions. Is Fauci an elected official? No, he is not. And so you have all of this going on. And then at the same time, the local politicians are getting so much more power that they are, it seems, at least to me, that they're becoming power drunk. And it is kind of corrupting the one place where the individual should have an actual democratic influence on their leaders. That should be felt the most at the local level. And it's at the very local level that all of a sudden, these used-to-be-nobody politicians have a lot of power in their region. And so you have that issue as well, which, again, all of these things 
are the exact reaction you would want if you were trying to roll in a New World Order system. So that would be the reaction aspect. Now, the solution is this New World Order system. What you want is everything ran through technology with a technocratic governance system. Again, that's not necessarily political. It is more economic and resource management based. And you don't want this forced on anybody. You want the public to want this. You want them to love their servitude. You want them to live in the year 2030, own nothing, and be happy. You want the brave new world scenario, you might be able to get a decent bit of the 1984 scenario because most people are still satisfied at least and content, but in Brave New World, they love it. They are reveling in their freedom, I guess you could use that in a loose way from that perspective, but that's what you want. And so what solution are we seeing being rolled out currently? Well, everything is being digitized. Everything is going through the internet. And I guess I shouldn't say everything, but many more things are now compared to, let's say, a year ago or two years ago. So this is everything from your work to your school to your records to even your ID um, ordering things. Online ordering is way up. Online deliveries way up. All of these types of things are going through the internet. They're going through these technological platforms that gather data, can compile them. Algorithms can be run on this data by those powers that shouldn't be or by their servants below them, but above us, of course. And they can get the information they need for this technocratic rule. And all of this is only possible if you have the data. You have to have the data. You have to have the information in order to really institute a modern technocracy. That is very important. That was even being discussed back in the 30s, that you needed a way to identify every single person and track and trace every single purchase that they make in order to really get a technocratic resource management plan in place and one that actually works. And now we can do that. And even more now than before this virus and the reactions that followed. And so another aspect of the solution that is being rolled out is the vaccine. The vaccine is very interesting in that it is not necessarily going to prevent you from catching the virus. Normally, if you think of a vi vaccine, then you would think that, oh, they're going to take a virus, whether it be dead or alive, and inject you with a small amount of it. Your body will then respond by building up antibodies. And then when your body comes into contact with that virus in the future, your body will just fight it right off. It already has the antibodies and you won't catch it. And that is the idea behind most vaccines. That's what most of us think of when you say a vaccine. The problem is that the current vaccines being rolled out, that would be the mRNA vaccines. I believe it's Moderna and Pfizer, at the very least, are mRNA vaccines. And they're not doing this. Instead, they are injecting you with messenger RNA that encourages your body to develop a specific a spike protein that encourages your body to basically be able to fight off the virus when you come in contact with it. But it does not necessarily keep you from catching the virus. All it really does is lowers the symptoms that you will get from the virus. So more than likely, you will probably still catch it. 
And more than likely, you're not obviously going to stop the spread of the virus by doing it in this way, but you will theoretically be able to control the symptoms that people get from the virus. And so people, even though they're catching it, they won't be dying from it left and right, which is at least what the media is telling you is happening right now. And so that is the way that this is being approached with the current vaccine. Now, why I mention that is because of many different aspects, but mainly the eugenics point of view. We're looking at this from a conspiratorial point of view. Why is this a good thing? Well, messing around with RNA injections is definitely a very good step from the mind of a eugenicist. It's just one step away from pure DNA manipulation. And there is a slight chance, apparently, that it could cause DNA modifications. It's not supposed to, and it probably won't, but there is a slight chance of that. You might become the modified organism yourself, but uh, that is not likely, at least. That's what they tell us. Uh, this is just messenger RNA, and it doesn't affect your DNA. And so, but from a eugenics point of view, this is a very good thing. This is the way that you want things to trend towards. And not only that, but you are also altering somebody on a level that is beyond natural, and you are doing it in a way that is not natural. This is all synthetic. This is all being done in a laboratory. This is all basically the human modification of the human immune system. And that basically is eugenics. The whole idea of eugenics is that you take a human being and you change it into a better human being. And you do that through human means, through technology and breeding and these types of things. It's not just something that naturally occurs if you let people do their people things and be a normal society. No, the eugenics point of view is that you step in and you do as much as you can to steer the evolution of the human race and steer it in a positive direction. Now, this vaccine is one that would definitely be, again, a step towards that direction. But not only that, they are finding ways of, uh, I would say, mandating a vaccine without mandating a vaccine. But even the argument for mandating a vaccine is now normal. That was a conspiracy theory two years ago, without a doubt. No one would ever mandate a vaccine of any kind, no matter what was going on. And now you have a large portion of society that believes vaccines should be mandated, that we are in the middle of this pandemic, everybody's dying, and these selfish people that don't want to get a shot, they need to be forced to get a shot or else kicked out of the country. And that's how some people view it. And that is actually becoming more and more normalized. But not only that, again, going back to the Brave New World mentality of getting people to do something without forcing them to do it, having the economic aspects of being involved and living in a society tied to a potential vaccine is something that really encourages that because the state doesn't have to mandate that you get a vaccine. But let's say private company A, Delta, they mandate that you have to have a vaccine to fly. And if you go to a certain country, maybe that country mandates that you have to have a vaccine or you go through a 14-day quarantine period when you arrive in that country. Or maybe your employer says you cannot come into the office unless you are vaccinated. Otherwise, you need to work from home. And we don't know if you're going to be able to because we only have so many jobs and so many people that we are able to have remain working from home. And so, you know, it's questionable. You don't have to get the vaccine. But if you really want to secure your place and your job and your position, then maybe you should. You have the issue of kids going back to school 
all of these types of things, these are becoming normalized arguments when they never even were on the table before. And again, all of this is a eugenicist's dream. The thought of being able to inject people with things that modify their bodies is eugenics. That, that's perfect. There is also a chance that this virus uh, has some impacts on fertility. So apparently it does block one aspect that is very crucial in developing a placenta. And so there is a chance that this will affect fertility, especially in women. But I've also heard that there is potential for affecting the fertility of men as well. Now, one of the big problems with this is that they haven't really done the long-term testing, so they don't know. They also haven't tested on pregnant women. They also haven't tested on children. And so there are a lot of unknowns. And to get society to go along with this and beg for it, even with everything I've just laid out, is quite a feat of accomplishment for, let's say, the elitist eugenics that are running the show behind the scenes. And so we may end up with a scenario where the population is much less fertile than they were before. This is also a good thing from a eugenics point of view because you want the breeding and procreation to be much more controlled. You want to steer the direction that it goes and kind of choose who procreates with one another and how that is handled. If you have fertility issues, then a lot of this will be done through artificial insemination. And when all of a sudden that is a a normalized option, then the fact that the DNA came from the host mother or their husband as the father, it, it doesn't really matter. What if you have the option of getting a professional athlete's DNA to create your child? You are still going to raise it. It is going to be a better human being. You can make sure that the sperm donation is coming from somebody that is resistant naturally to certain diseases or you know who knows what. But the point is that if you can have more control over the outcome of what your baby will be like on a genetic level and you can do so in a way that you feel is moral and normal, then many parents will choose to do this. They can lower risks with their own children by just making this decision up front. And what is that if not eugenics? Another aspect of the solution layer that we are seeing being rolled out is free money. And this is perfect. Once politicians figure out that they can pay off the public to gain their support, basically it's game over and that is going downhill and not going to work out well in the long run. But for now, they are handing out free money to people. And not only does this improve their popularity and their PR position, but also it makes people more reliant on those who are handing out the money. Because as you start getting stimulus checks and you start getting a universal basic income and these types of things, then you start relying on that to get by. And even though the government is the reason why you don't have a job, the government is the only reason you can still pay your bills because they're paying you off for it and giving you a check. And so this basically works on all fronts in a good way for the government. And also, if you want this technocratic new world order, you need to diminish nation states. You basically want them to crash and you want their popularity to go down. And so having a system like this of blowing up the bubble as big as possible and hopefully getting inflation to take off and have these national currencies basically become worthless and the governments lose all the trust of their citizens and the states come crashing down. And you're doing this once people have become very reliant 
on the state and they're looking to the state for their solution, well, they're just going to shift their support to the New World Order state, a global state that is not run by these politicians that we already know are corrupt and can't handle things. And look at how they did with the pandemic. They butchered everything. We're going to go for someone like a Trump, you know, the, the worst politician in history or any of these other corrupt, crooked politicians or just inept governments. No, we are going to rely on a global organized governance system ran by experts that are using the latest scientific data and the best technology, and they are orchestrating things together on a global level for the best of all citizens, all human beings around the world, to eliminate poverty, to stop climate change, and protect the environment, and rainbows and unicorns, and everything else. And so this would be perfect. The solution of doing all of these things that are being rolled out now will lead to some aspect of decline of current nation states and some rise of dominance of more global expert type groups. And again, season two talked a lot about that. And so I won't elaborate further. But I think that covers at least a broad overview of what's going on right now from the problem, the reaction, the solution from a conspiratorial mindset you could say that there are people behind the scenes that are steering this and making sure that things are playing out this way. Not only that, maybe they are introducing the virus. Maybe they are in control of all the main media outlets. Maybe they're in control of big tech and the censoring that they are doing and choosing who's censored and when and why and the solution, how governments are rolling things out and how private businesses are rolling out their various restrictions and regulations and compliance and all of these things. Maybe there are elitists behind the scenes pulling the strings like little puppet masters and steering us towards this new world order society that's technocratic, it's eugenics, it's all of these things that uh, I've talked about a lot and that you know, if you are probably listening to this podcast period, you're probably well aware of the conspiratorial mindset and all of these things, which much of it is true, as well as there are probably many aspects that are overblown and that people are just wrong about. But the point is, that is the conspiratorial mindset when looking at this. Now, if you look at this from a different mindset, just looking at historical patterns and trends and how technology affects civilizations and how the trends in more and more technology change societies, how generations follow certain patterns. If you look at something like the fourth turning and that theory, if you look at all of these things, then let's go back and look at the problem from this perspective. So the virus is something that is affecting the world and infecting a lot of people. It is taking out a lot of people that are, let's say, weak. And we mentioned that this is perfect from eugenics point of view, but even just from a normal historical point of view, this is something that happens. Pandemics happen and viruses hit and this is the way they often will play out. That's perfectly normal. So that fits right in line with the normal trends. As far as an economic downturn, again, the whole point was that we're due for one anyway. So whether it's this or something else, having a crash is something that is perfectly natural from a historical point of view, as well as shifting towards globalization and authoritarianism. That is what complex societies 
bodies do. They get more and more complex. Their bureaucracies expand. Their power expands. That's what a government is incentivized to do. Every government department, they're incentivized to gain power and gain funds. And that's just the way it is. That's the way the incentive structure is. I don't have to explain that. It's just a natural trend. Now, with the reaction, the exaggerated response from the media, exaggerating the danger in people, exaggerating their own fears, again, these are natural things. The way the media is set up and the way, basically, the structure of the way news is presented, it's pure entertainment. I shouldn't say pure, but it is very much oriented towards entertainment. They do stories and play segments and choose their content based on what will get more views, what will draw in more viewers to watch their program or go to their site or read their paper or whatever. And so the incentive is to entertain people, get more people, get them hooked on what you are giving them like a dopamine hit every time they see your article or your headline or hear your anchor pop up on their TV, that is what you're incentivized to do. So of course you're going to exaggerate how crazy this is and how unique of a time period we are living in. And this is unprecedented and people are dying left and right. And of course you're going to do that. And of course the normal person, when they see this from the only news source that they watch, then they are going to be afraid because they're told to be afraid. And the media, as well as any other advertising agency, they're very good at manipulating emotions. And having fear is a very good emotion to take advantage of because when people are afraid, and they're afraid because of what's going on in the world, well, they're going to be highly sensitive to what's going on in the world. And they will be tuned in very much to what you are showing them and the news that you are providing them. Another aspect was the loss of liberties and freedoms. Now, again, this is pretty natural when you look at the rise of complex civilizations where bureaucracies and governments become more and more powerful. The masses themselves have less and less of a say in their society, less and less freedom to do what they want to do, and there are more and more laws that come out, regulations, restrictions that come out, again, that is natural. To censor opposition or to have opposition that doesn't really affect the state or the powers that be, again, are perfectly normal things. Of course, if you are Twitter or Facebook and you have somebody that is very unpopular on your platform, at least unpopular with, let's say, 70% of the country, then maybe you are going to get more viewers and more support and more money and more people buying your stock if you kick that person off your platform. And if those views aren't expressed on your platform, people might feel safer to be on your platform, be a part of it, to post on there and interact on there. And so you might just be incentivized based on your business model to censor certain views, certain opinions, certain things. Also, if you're getting a lot of money from the state and you have government contracts, then you also might be incentivized to keep the state happy and get rid of people that uh, pose as true opposition to the state.
Opposition that does not pose a very big threat is also very normal. This happens quite frequently. Basically, the masses act like masses. People get very emotional and they act and they do things and it's not well thought out. It's not well planned. They aren't extremely well educated and informed. It's just that they see something they don't like and they act on it or they talk about it or they do something about it. And this is what happens. That's not going to be very effective against a giant state apparatus. And so it's kind of natural that that is going to happen. And the people that get riled up enough to do something are going to be those people that are very emotionally driven. They're very prone to fall into traps of marketing and propaganda of, let's say, the QAnon movement and things like that. And so that's, again, a natural thing. The final thing would be normalizing executive mandates. Well, that's a trend in our society to trust the experts. You learned it in school that you trust the teacher. They're at the front of the room. What they say is true. Why would you ever question your teacher? They're the ones that know this stuff from front to back in your textbook. You know, never, never question that. Why would you ever double check sources on your textbook? Like, that's dumb. Of course, they wouldn't give you a book and teach you things in school that wasn't true. Of course. And so that just gets then overlaid onto the state and transferred to the state where it's not the teacher that's the expert that knows everything. It's the people giving these mandates. It's the experts you're seeing on TV. It's the Fauci's. It's the Bill Gates. It's all of these types of people. And so that is a natural thing for people to be comfortable with these people in authority over them that are the experts. They are knowledgeable. They are educated. They are informed much more than you, the commoner, is. And so it's natural to rely on them to make good decisions and provide mandates that are good for society. So moving on to the solution, well, the aspect of digitizing everything and having everything go through the internet is a natural progression of technological change and evolution. As technology increases and it increases things like automation and productivity, well, naturally things are going to shift to be more technological. They're going to involve this technology more and more. And that's just the world we live in. There are going to be more and more things automated. Things are going to be more convenient. They are going to be more streamlined because we have the technology to do that. It's not necessarily that some new world order scheme conspiracy behind the scenes wants to be able to track and trace every human being on the planet so they can exterminate the ones they don't like. Well, it could just be that technology is progressing in a certain way and society is progressing with it and we're going to improve society and we're going to do things better if we have the ability to do them better. It's very basic. It's very natural. As well as the push to give out free money. I mentioned that about making people more reliant on the state. Well, again, that's a pretty natural thing. Of course, politicians are incentivized to keep their voters happy so that they continue to have voters and they get more and more support. And so if they can give out free money for that, then of Of course they will. Why wouldn't they? That, again, makes perfect sense. The fact that experts are stepping up and that we have these shifts going on from political trust to trust in these technocratic experts. Again, these are natural shifts. So in conclusion, basically... All of the things that are going on now in society, specifically related around COVID-19, these things are things that can be explained from a conspiratorial point of view where there are people behind the scenes steering things. And I have given plenty of evidence and source documentation on how certain aspects of this 
they are true and they are historical facts. You can't really get around that. So there are conspiratorial aspects that I personally am 100% sure are involved with some of these things that I have been discussing. I have no doubt that there are conspiracies behind the scenes. History is nothing but conspiracies. That is also a very normal thing. That is a trend in societies. And as governments and civilizations get more and more complex, get bigger and more powerful, typically these things become more and more pronounced. And so that is something that is true. At the same time, we do have these natural trends that occur. We have natural incentives that arise in certain markets and certain parameters, and we are experiencing that. We have these historical shifts. We have generational patterns. We have all these things that are just purely historical trends. They are not necessarily someone directing things from behind the scenes. They're just normal. that This is just what happens. This is how societies evolve. This is how they progress. It's how civilizations rise and fall. And so overall, conspiracy or not, the impact on us as individuals is basically the same. And not only, and it comes at a level that is not at that conspiratorial level. Let's say there are elites behind the scenes running everything. There are 13 families that run the entire world. Let's say that is true. Well, you are not going to be interacting with one of those 13 families. That is not going to happen. You're probably not going to be interacting with the person that's a step below them or the people that are a step below them. Maybe the organization that's a step below that or the policies that that organization makes. Again, it gets more and more stretched out. And so the impact on you as an individual, how you are going to be interacting with these shifts that are happening are going to be at a very low level. It's going to be a policeman. It's going to be a healthcare worker. It's going to be a teacher at a local school. Whatever it is, these are low-level positions that probably have absolutely nothing to do with a grand conspiracy if there is a grand conspiracy. The same is true from the societal trend perspective. If all of these things are just societal trends, historical patterns, all of these things, you have zero impact on how that plays out. You as an individual are not going to change that. If society is in a certain trend, then it's in a certain trend. And there's nothing that you can do about that. You are not at that level. You are at the level of basically being in the current. Now, you have some freedom to move within that current, but you aren't stopping that current. It just isn't going to happen. That's not the way things work. That's not reality. And so, whether it's conspiratorial, whether it's natural, whether it is a combination of both, which is probably where I'm coming from, I'd say they're probably both true to some degree. And I would say there's definitely plenty of room there as far as to what degree and how much. But I would say there are aspects that are true of both of those points of view. But the focus then would just naturally come to you, the individual, to me, the individual. If it doesn't really matter what we do on this grand scale, then why does it matter? Well, it is good to be informed on these things. You need to know the trends that society is riding through. You need to know what the goals of elitist technocrats are. You need to know how certain policies could negatively affect you. You need to know if the economy is due to crash in the next few years. These are invaluable pieces of information, and it is very good to know because you, at an individual level, while you cannot change those things, 
you can totally change how those things affect you and your family. And so that is where we are now. If there were to be impactful opposition to authoritarianism and toward liberty and freedom, whether it be on a societal level or an individual level, it will come from a remnant of like-minded individuals coming together as local movements and communities. That is the way things have played out historically. That is the way it would play out even if you look from a conspiratorial perspective. You would have to have an insurgency of some kind. You would have to have a remnant that is left behind that is ideologically sound and consistent and firm. This is what it would take to have, again, impactful opposition. Now, I would argue it's very unlikely that there will be impactful opposition on a societal level. That's probably not going to happen. If it is, it is going to be after there is impactful opposition on an individual level and a local level. And so that is probably a much more valuable place to put your own focus and emphasis. If you want some historical examples, you can look at the role of monasteries and Christianity after Rome fell. I talked about that some in season two, or you can look at the Sons of Liberty or other movements like that in the time of the founding of America and breaking away from Britain. Similar things happened then. It was more spontaneous local militias that fought the British for the first few years before we even had an army, and they were very successful. These were guerrilla tactics on an individual localized militia level that was totally unorganized and unplanned, in many circumstances at least. And so it was this small remnant, this small group. Same with the Boston Tea Party. Again, same with a lot of monastic orders through the centuries. Those were the ones that preserved a lot of the information after the fall of Rome and through what we often will hear called the Dark Ages. The potential today is for the modern agorist. Now, the modern agorist could be that remnant. It could be people that are ideologically sound and firm in their beliefs, that are focused on living their lives in a certain way that does have impactful opposition on an individual level. Agorists could set up local communities where if there was some sort of big crash, think of the fall of Rome, that was a pretty big deal. And usually when civilizations fall, that is a huge deal. That can be a major crash. That's not just this little thing and we have a recession or a depression. A, a societal crash is a big deal. And it would take communities of people, it would take these remnants to start back up and get anywhere near what we had prior to the crash. Now, I'm not saying that we're going to have a societal collapse, but I would say that there is plenty of historical precedent for that being a possibility. And with that being the case, that is such a big deal that even if there is a low risk of that, we do see that there is a high risk of more of an economic crash or something on a smaller scale. We are going through a transitional period that will be pretty rough. And so having local groups, local communities, local relationships, living an agorist lifestyle is something that is beneficial even in the, let's say, best case scenario. You're going to have less freedom, less liberty, more control over you, more authoritarianism, more tracking and tracing. These are things that 
are in your future period. And agorism can give you a way to pull out some individual freedom and liberty out of that inevitable situation that we will be finding ourselves in for the next few years or decades or centuries. Now, if you had worst case scenario and everything crashed, let's say the grid went down and the government went down totally, what are you going to do? Well, it'd be pretty important to have people that you know, to have some homesteading skills, to have people that actually grow food, to have people that know how to work on machinery. These types of things would be extremely important. You can think of something like defense, if you're into that kind of thing, would become a very important thing. And you are not going to have that if you don't have any connections. So again, whether it's a big grand conspiracy or whether it's just natural events that are steering society in a certain direction and whether it is something that is a total societal collapse or whether we just go into a rough transitional period heading into the technocracy, it doesn't matter from the individual perspective and as far as what the solution is. It may be a matter of degree, but agorism is the solution. And agorism is the thing that you can do on an individual level that guarantees some individual benefits. I think that's all I have to say on the matter. Now, hopefully with the previous episode where I talked about how libertarianism and free markets and anarcho-capitalism can be things that are good for the new world order, hopefully then when I say that it doesn't matter if there's a grand conspiracy or not, um, between these two things, hopefully I made some of you upset and maybe I can encourage people with more extreme views in favor of these things to assess things a little more deeply yourself and to look into these matters from a different perspective, as well as hopefully I can encourage more of the normies out there in the audience to take these suggestions that I have been providing for the past two years to heart and actually do something in your own life related to these things. Agorism specifically is something that hopefully you are actually thinking about implementing yourself. Now, as far as the next episode is concerned, I have no clue what that will be because I am again trying to arrange a special interview that I would want to do before starting season three. And so I don't want to go ahead and start season three, although that was the very next thing I had on my list to do. So maybe you'll get lucky and get the interview next episode. Maybe it'll be something totally random. Maybe it'll be an introduction to season three. I'm not quite sure to be honest, but come next Tuesday, you will have another new episode. Hopefully you have enjoyed this one and will enjoy the next and all to come. Thank you very much for your support of all kinds, whether it be monetary or reviews or ratings. I did get a review recently from Jack Allen of the Conspiracy or Just a Coincidence podcast. I was a guest on there and he has listened to some of my episodes and he felt the need to tell people how much of a genius I am and how wonderful the podcast is and all these things. So thank you very much for the kind words. And although they may be a little exaggerated, I greatly appreciate them. Thank you for the review. Anybody else that feels like writing a review for the podcast, I would greatly appreciate that. I only have a handful of reviews. I only have a handful full of ratings and all that takes is clicking a star. So I know I have thousands of people that listen to this podcast and hopefully I can get a few of you even if just a small percentage of you 
click those stars and give a rating. If not, give a review. That would be very helpful for the show as a whole. And with that, I'm out of here. Peace. This has been another episode of Our Foundation's podcast. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. Yeah. Thank you. Goodbye.